trying to get across. And, and if we do that in the book of Romans, one thing, that one word that comes out over and over again is that of a gift or gifts. If you flip through it, uh, 12 times you'll find one of those two words. And if we included the word give or, or giver, uh, that number would go up even higher. A theme traced through this letter is that of gifts. Now, these gifts don't involve a, a big guy in a red suit with a white beard. These gifts aren't wrapped up nicely with a bow sitting underneath a tree. But the gifts we'll open later this month will one day mean nothing to us. This time next year, you probably won't be able to remember about 90% of what you received this year, and that may even be a high estimate. The gifts under the trees in our homes will, will wear down. They're going to break down. They're going to lose their value over time, but not the gifts we read about in the letter to the Romans. These gifts should mean everything to us. These gifts carry eternal implications. They, they don't wear down. They don't break down. They actually gain value as we go through life. What I want to do tonight is just a brief survey of the letter to the Romans. And I know last time I spoke for like almost an hour, and I promise not to do that to you tonight. When I say a brief survey, I actually mean a brief survey of the letter to the Romans. We're going to trace that theme of gifts or a gift that we have been given. We're going to see what gifts we have received, what gifts we are expected to give, and what that means for us during a season of gifts and as we approach the start of a new year. So very simplistically, here is the outline that, that I kind of, looking at this theme of gifts in Romans, this is a very simplistic outline. But in chapters 1 through 11, we're going to see Paul talks a lot about the gifts we have received. In chapter 12, he makes a transition into talking about our response to the gift. You'll remember Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of the living God, to give your bodies as a living sacrifice. Because of the gift you've been given, here's what I expect you to do, or here's what is expected. So chapters 12 through 14 are going to be our response to the gifts. Chapter 15 is going to be the goal of the gifts. What's the purpose of what all God has done for us? And then chapter 16, which we're not going to really get into, uh, is the greeting. So he has a lot of personal greetings and then his conclusion overall. But let's just jump right in and start running through this. So in Romans chapter 1, the, the main point that Paul tries to make here is he's setting up that Gentiles are sinners. The evidence for God is plain, he says, specifically in verses 18 through 32. The evidence of God is clearly seen around them, yet they did not see fit to acknowledge God or give him thanks. They didn't honor him. He goes into verses 29 through 32 talking about what happens when Men fail to honor God. Their lives turn into all manner of unrighteousness. Men have sex with men. Women have sex with women. There is slander. There is murder. There is disobedience to parents. This is life without the God of the Bible. Now, this section is specifically not mentioning the Jews because he's going to do that in chapter 2. This section, I think, is specifically pointed towards Gentiles. And the Jews might read this section and think, Amen, Paul. Amen. We're the people of God. All Gentiles are sinners. 
That was very much the attitude we saw with the, with the Jews that Jesus interacted with during his time. But Paul will address this attitude in chapter 2 when he makes the point that Jews are sinners. So Gentiles are sinners in chapter 1, Jews are sinners in chapter 2. If you read verses 17 through 24, he says, But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Jews claim to wear the name of God and to follow his law. And yet what he saw, what Paul is pointing out, is that you've been missing it. You've been, you've been preaching, but not been practicing what you're preaching, what you were preaching. And as a result, because they claimed to be the people of God but didn't follow him, the name of God was blasphemed. It was spoken ill of because of them. As a side note, we should take careful note of this section and make sure it doesn't apply to us. We claim to be the, the church that follows the Bible and the Bible alone. Do we practice what we preach? Or is the name of God blasphemed because of you and me? So in Romans chapter 1, Gentiles are sinners. Romans chapter 2, Jews are sinners. In Romans chapter 3, he's going to say all are sinners in verse 23, verse, the end of verse 22, end of verse 23, for there's no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter your ancestry, the color of your skin, the language on your tongue. We are all sinners. There's no distinction, he says, as humans, Gentiles or Jews, Americans or Europeans or Africans, we all wear the same title, sinners. Now, if that was where this ended, then there would be no reason for us to be here today. There would be no point in living, period. We would have no hope. But Paul will go on in this section. He makes the point, we are all sinners, united by that fact, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus. Though we are all sinners and failures, we have been given a gift, the possibility of justification, to be made right through grace, something we didn't earn found in Jesus Christ. In a season of gifts, let us not forget that we have already received a gift that is beyond comparing with anything that may be on your list or underneath your tree this year. But that's not all Paul has to say about gifts in this letter. Romans chapter 1, Gentiles are sinners. Romans chapter 2, Jews are sinners. Romans chapter 3, we are all sinners whose only hope is a gift given through Jesus Christ. In chapter 5, if you skip ahead, Paul starts this discussion about Adam. He goes all the way back to the beginning and talks about how Adam, through his one mistake, brought sin and death into the world, but then he illustrates a better or a greater Adam who has come and brought something much better for us. Look in chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. He's going to use this word gift over and over again, but the free gift is not like the trespass, referring to Adam's sin. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. 
And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. All right, let's break that down. Adam sinned and brought death into the world. Through one man came death. But Jesus has come into the world, and through one man and his death has brought us the free gift of life and justification and grace and righteousness. Through Jesus, we have a great gift. Nothing underneath the tree can compare with this. Don't don't miss this. Don't Don't forget this this season. No matter what you open on Christmas Day, no matter what you may or may not get, the satisfaction you're looking for is not in anything like that. You have already received the satisfaction you're searching for and the fact that you've already received the greatest gift of all. And with this gift, something about us changes us. Something about us changes, which takes us into Romans chapter 6, where he says, if we have received this gift of grace, and justification, and righteousness. How can we who died to sin still live in it? If we continue in sin, we will receive what is due in chapter 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but he says the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This gift we have received changes the way we live. We are not justified and made righteous to continue living the way we were before we received the gift. But Paul will go on in chapter 7 to say that's a whole lot easier said than done. My spirit wants to serve the giver of the gift of life, but my flesh wants to do the opposite and serve my fleshly passions and desires. This battle in him leads him to sorrow in chapter 7 and verse 24 when he says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he goes on in the next verse to answer it. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Which rolls right into chapter 8, where he says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we have received this sentence of condemnation in chapters 1 through 3. We are all sinners, but we have also received a gift of grace and righteousness, which leads to life, which then changes the way we live But that's really hard. And yet, he says, as long as we are in Christ Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. What a a beautiful, powerful thought. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I should be standing before the Lord condemned. That's what we deserve. But through the gift we have received in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for us. We have received Freedom, not because we had a great lawyer, not because we played the system, not because the system is corrupt. It's because we received a gift. In chapter 8 and verse 32, he will say, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And in this gift, we see what he ends chapter 8 talking about, how the love of God is beyond anything in comparison, and nothing will ever separate us from it. 
In chapters 9 through 11, we find that this gift was always in God's plan and it was never intended to solely be given to the Jews. All are sinners, we have established, and God planned before the creation of the world that the gift of life would be available to all mankind. In chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. We have received the gift of the hope of being able to call on the name of the Lord for salvation. And this was a pivotal verse for these New Testament Christians. Because if you remember in Acts chapter 2, Peter quoted this verse from Joel in the very first sermon that led to the salvation of 3,000 souls. What a gift we have been given. Seen in those first 11 verses, and I know that, or first 11 chapters, I know that was a lot of verses thrown at you. We're going to slow it down a little bit as we get into chapters 12 through 14. A transition is going to occur between chapter 11 and chapter 12. We spent most of our time talking about the gifts we have been given, and now we're going to transition into our response to these gifts. At the end of chapter 11, he kind of uh, uh, breaks it up a little bit with a, what we might call a doxology, a, a word of praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. What gift can you and I give to God that we might repay him? The short answer is nothing. There is nothing we can give him to repay him for the gift that we have received. But what can we give him? Well, the short answer is everything, which rolls right into chapter 12. Because of the gift you have been given, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Because of the gift you have received, you give him yourself as a living sacrifice. You give him your body, he says in chapter 11. You give him your mind, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, in chapter 12, verse 2. You give him everything in response to the gift that you have been given. But how do we do this? You know, that's a, a verse we like to quote a lot. How do we become a living sacrifice? Well, he goes on to tell us in verse 3 what the beginning process looks like. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. What's the first step to becoming a living sacrifice? Stop thinking you're something special. Stop thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. To truly give yourself to God, body, soul, and mind, you must realize how worthless you are, only given value because of the gift you have received through Jesus. And as we stop thinking highly of ourselves, we start to realize that none of us is better than the other. 
My body has many members in it with different functions, and each is important in its own way. And the same is true in the church, which is what he says in chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, the church, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We have been given gifts that we are expected to use. Often when we go through this section, we immediately enter into a discussion of of why miraculous or how miraculous gifts are are not available to us today. And then we kind of move on. But I want us to linger here for a little bit in this section. I will be upfront that I don't believe we're given the gift of miraculous powers today. You're not going to see amazing reviews online about how Dr. Langford healed someone of their blindness or raise someone from the dead. Jason and Roger aren't going to post a podcast next week speaking in tongues and revealing a new prophetic statement from the Lord. Those gifts were real, and first century Christians had the ability to do those things, but they served a clear purpose during that time. At the end of Mark 16, before Jesus uh, is taken up, or as he is taken up, it says, so then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven. So Jesus is leaving, going back into heaven, and sat down at the right hand of God. And those men who were with him, they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. The miracles were proof that the message uh, was true. How do I know someone who who is preaching a new idea is telling me the truth? Well, God gave them miraculous powers so that they could say, you don't believe me? Well, let me heal this guy of his blindness or make him walk again. That way you know I'm telling you God's word. They served a clear purpose during that time. Now that we have the written word, which really the fact that we have this is a miracle in and of itself, but the fact that we have this now, we don't need the miraculous powers like they did back then. But I'm not saying God doesn't have the power to do miracles. He holds the whole world in his hands. He can literally do whatever he wants. But from the Bible, from what the Bible teaches, he no longer needs to to give us miraculous powers today. I do believe, however, that he still gives us gifts and, and talents and abilities that he expects us to use for his glory. Notice the gifts of Romans 12. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, contribution, leading, acts of mercy. Which of those really requires any supernatural assistance? You know, potentially prophecy, but if we think of a prophet as a mouthpiece of God, so someone speaking the words of God, you and I have been given the words of God and We are expected to speak those still today. Now, my Bible, and probably in yours, there's a break uh, between verses 8 and 9 of chapter 12, where mine says, marks of the true Christian. But what if we kept on reading in the context of, of gifts that we have been given, that we are expected to give, while answering the question, how do we become a living sacrifice? Well, he says, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. 
mentions things here like love, honor, zeal, joy, hope, patience, hospitality. I do believe these are characteristics we are all expected to have, but it's not a stretch to say that some of us are better than others at these things. I will make the caveat that just because I don't think I'm good at something doesn't give me the excuse not to do it. Some have the ability and gift to teach better than others. Those people should make sure they do that often. But we're all expected to be teachers. The great commission that Jesus gave to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every nation is for us. So I should be telling people about Jesus. That makes me a teacher. Some have the gift and ability to encourage better than others. There's a reason Barnabas was called the son of encouragement. He was really good at being an encouragement. Those people should use that gift often, but we're all expected to be an encouragement to each other. The same goes for giving. Some have more to give, but we're all expected to be generous. The same goes for hospitality. Some are better at bringing people into their home and making them feel comfortable. But the command for hospitality is for all of us, not just for a select few. Don't underestimate the power of simply having someone into your home. This is a time of year many many people reflect on the last year. What did I do well? What could I have done better? And as we reflect on the past year, we also look forward to the coming year. What do I want to repeat in 2024? What do I want to make sure does not come into 2024? Well, could I encourage you to add this question to your list as you are reflecting on 2023 and looking forward to 2024? What gifts and abilities have you been given by God that you can use better to glorify Him in your home, in this church, in this community, and around the world? And as you identify those gifts, what specific ways are you going to use them? Notice in this section of Romans chapter 12, there's no age exclusion. It's not, I expect Christians from 25 to 65 to be engaged in these things and everybody else is off the hook. This is a question we should be helping our kids answer when they're in our homes. We should be involving them in acts of service, generosity, teaching, hospitality, so that we can help them answer What gifts and abilities have you been given by God that you can use to glorify Him in this world? We spend a lot of time trying to set up our kids for future success. We check on their grades, help them with their homework, talk about career options, get them shadowing opportunities, take them around the country for college visits. We have a vision in our head of what their life will look like. Uh, Graduate high school, go to college or a trade school or some type of training, get a job, get married, have kids. We spend a lot of time investing in this American dream with them. How much time do we spend investing in God's dream with them? We should be helping our kids answer this question. This should be one of the most important questions we help them answer, not just in a future tense either. I should be sitting down with Desiree and having this discussion with her. What gifts and abilities have you been given by God that you can use better to glorify Him starting now? 
in your junior year of high school. But we also should be thinking ahead. I don't want her to just go off to college or wherever she goes and simply go to church. I feel like that's all I hear people talking about when wondering if a, a college student or a person in their young 20s is faithful. They go into church. What a sad and small idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. How is Desiree, when she leaves our home, not simply going to be a churchgoer, but an active worshiper of God, giving her body and mind as a living sacrifice, using the gifts and abilities she has been given by God to glorify Him in her classes, in her workplace, in whatever church she attends, in her dorm or apartment, in whatever community she finds herself in, and around the world? That should be an active, ongoing discussion with our kids in our homes. And I bring that out not as a rebuke, uh, but as something I need to do better. There's also no age of retirement given in chapter 12. Your abilities will change as you get older. I understand that. But don't ever stop asking yourself the question, what gifts and abilities have you been given by God that you can use for Him? And what specific ways are you going to use them? Whatever your age, if you have trouble answering that question, Ask someone you trust. Maybe that's a family member. Maybe that's a friend. Maybe that's someone here. Maybe that's one of the elders. But this is an important question to answer as we strive to be the people and the church that God expects us to be. All right, let's start wrapping this up. So in chapters 1 through 11, we have the gifts described that we have received from God. In chapters 12 through 14... We have our response to the gift, where he talks about becoming a living sacrifice, not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think, using your gifts to encourage and glorify God. He'll go on to say that from or because of the gift we have received, that we submit to authority in chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. And that submission to authority is something that's completely lacking in our culture today, but it's an area where Christians should be shining brightly. Because of the gift we have been given, we love our neighbors in chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. We stop judging and fighting over matters of opinion in chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. Because of the gift we have been given, we do nothing to discourage in chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, and only strive to be an encouragement to each other. But let's finish up in chapter 15, what I'm calling the goal of the gift. Let's read verses 1 through 7 of chapter 15. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Jesus Christ, that together with one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Remember the first step to becoming a living sacrifice? Stop thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. He reiterates that same idea here at the beginning of chapter 15 when he says, stop trying to please yourself. 
Instead, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Now, this is countercultural. Stop doing what you want to do. Stop getting upset when you don't get your way. Start thinking about how what you do affects others and only do things that encourage them. That sounds like a pretty miserable way to live based upon what we hear around us. Why would we do that? Why would we live like that? Well, he goes on to say because that's what Christ did. It wasn't pleasing for Christ to take your sins. It wasn't pleasing for him to have nails driven through his hands and feet. It wasn't pleasing for him to be spit on and paraded through the streets in shame. So start living up to your name that you wear, Christian, and stop trying to please yourself. Be like Christ. The things that were written down about him and throughout all the history recorded for us in the Bible, those things were written down to encourage us so that we might live in a way in which we have hope because of the gift that has been given to us. In verses 5 through 6, Paul offers a short prayer that God would grant us harmony or unity or peace so that we with one voice might glorify the giver of the gift. This is the goal of the gift, to bring God glory. We are all sinners. Gentile, Jew, black, white, American, Asian, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of that sin is death. But God has given us the free gift of eternal life through the blood of Jesus, and in response to that gift, we give our bodies and minds as a living sacrifice, using our gifts and abilities to encourage and build each other up so that together with one voice, we might glorify the giver of the gift. That's the gospel, the good news in Romans. That's the gifts in Romans. But the gift is not simply for us to enjoy to ourselves. Together, we with one voice glorify the giver of the gift so that in chapter 15 and verse 21, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. We use our gifts and abilities so that all may have the opportunity to know about the gift that they have been given and one day spend eternity in the presence of the giver of that gift. This is, if you can see that well, yeah, it's big. This is um, a, a picture taken from a website called The Joshua Project. And what The Joshua Project tries to do is to keep track of how many people in the world have never had the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel, what they call unreached peoples. Now, if you look, so the population of the world is around 8 billion, and they're saying in the unreached population, there's 3.4 billion people. That's 3.4 billion people who have never even had the opportunity to hear the good news of the gospel. Now, I can't say that these numbers are 100% accurate, but I imagine they're probably pretty close. And if you, you think about this, of those 8 billion, if what we believe is true, 
that if we only follow the Bible, then that's the only hope of heaven. And all others are destined to an eternity in hell. How many of those eight billion are headed the wrong direction? That's why things like this are so important. This is our response to the gift we have been given. We want to tell as many people about it as we possibly can. And if I can't get somewhere, I help someone else get there or I help someone who is there so that they can tell people. This is an area I think we should continue to grow in. There's no question that we as a group of people are blessed financially. So as we look forward to the new year, let's continue to grow the number to these men as well as seek to grow the number of men in the number of countries around the world. Because those who have never been told of him, I want them to see. And those who have never heard, I want them to understand the gift that they have been given. That should be our goal. This season, take a break from thinking about the gifts you are going to receive. Take a break from thinking about all the gifts you have to frantically rush around and find and take some serious time to think about the greatest gift you have been given and how you are going to relay that gift to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your co-students. How are we going to do that? As a way of offering an invitation and keeping this theme of the gifts, on Christmas morning in my house, Tori's not going to go to the tree. She now knows how to spell her name. She's not going to go to the tree and find every present that says T-O-R-I, grab the box fully wrapped and take it back to her room and play with the boxes. That's not what Christmas morning looks like. She's going to find every present that has her name on it. She's going to rip that wrapping paper off. She's going to get superhuman strength as she rips through tape and boxes because she wants to know what's inside that box. She wants that gift. No matter what it takes, she's going to find it. She's going to get it. That should be our response to the gift that God has given us. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it because this gift is worth it all. So how do we receive this gift? Well, it's pretty simple. And that's the beauty of the gospel and the beauty of our God is he made it nice and simple for us. We have to be willing to have trust in him. That he sent his son to die for our sins, to bring me through his grace the gift of justification and righteousness and the hope of eternal life. And as I trust in him and trust in his son, I'm willing to change my life because if I am ready to die to sin, then I'm no longer going to live in it. And that man of sin, I bury him beneath the waters of baptism and rise to walk in newness of life, giving my body as a living sacrifice for all my days. I want to close just going back to chapter 11 and reading this doxology, you might say because I think it's beautiful. Oh, the depth 
of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Please come and give this God yourself as a living sacrifice. If we can help you in any way tonight, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.